0: It's taking over my mind. It's scary, yeah. I think I need some therapy. yeah. Cause when you stare at me, I want to take it with your body. Like, 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 it's freaking Friday. I want to take you to a dark place. Make it, make it, make it do it way. It's scary, yeah. I
1: think I need some therapy. yeah. The thing so very, I want you so bad. Scary. And that was scary. Written by today's guest, Cassia Livingston, with background vocals by today's other guest, Maya Marie. Welcome. This is the Original Doll Podcast, and I am your host, James Rodriguez Horton. For those first-time listeners, welcome. For those returners, welcome back. Uh, For those who have not heard of the show before, basically, really quick, this is a podcast which is a love letter to all things pop and Britney Spears, and shining the light on those people who produced, wrote, made the music, and created the legacy of the Princess of Pop, Britney Spears. It's also a philanthropic one. So basically, whenever we have a guest on, whenever they answer any questions, we get items donated to charity. So just being here, those guests help brighten the day of somebody else in need. So thank you so much for that. Uh, We have a lot of goodies and a lot of guests today, so let me just get right to this. Welcome.
0: Don't you want my not you want to and follow me? Don't you want to aim for the stars see? Don't you want
1: my and to remind the listeners, uh, basically, Cassie is kind enough that whenever a question gets answered by our guest, an item gets donated to charity. And we've received hundreds upon hundreds of items due in part just to cassia showing up and talking about what she does so well so thank you so much cassia for that
2: just due to you coming up with this like awesome idea to you know enlighten britney's fans or, or just introduce them to like some of the behind the scenes and then create amazing donations at the same time so you're you're doing all of the work of that and i know it's greatly appreciated
1: To get everyone back on on the same page. So you had just finished working on Circus. We know that uh, Britney Spears cut Amnesia, then Unusual You, and Unusual You made the cut, bumped Amnesia out of the contention. You're thrown to the international waters. Um, No, but that that you were fortunate enough to have both songs that were able to uh, be released. And I forgot, I do have amnesia on cd uh because i'd said on the the episode i was like it's available only digitally and jenny uh she's a huge britney spears collector was like don't forget it was released i'm like oh my goodness and i went to my wall of britney merch and you're on there your cd is on there so for the <laughs> listeners i apologize let's talk about scary femme fatale this was returned to form this was bringing britney back with max martin complete and, and dr luke this was an intended pop album so how did you get involved on yeah um,
2: well i i feel like i've answered all of the questions like yeah when I back to the, my scandinavia is showing I think. but um so um, i mean i always it's funny because in my mind it's always sort of like a continuation of just like writing whatever you're inspired to write about sometimes Brittany is the muse sometimes other artists are the muse but like you pitch it to a different artist and they want to record it even when you were like imagining or fantasizing about this other artist would would be recording it and that that doesn't pan out um but I did I felt kind of invincible after Circus because it was crazy to me that these like really personal words had kind of cut through so many incredible records that she was being shown at the time and that that resonated with her so I think I was kind of flying high on this feeling where I could really just like I mean I've always just written you know my emotion and sometimes I'm not even able to be intentional about it it's either me like telling an emotional story or me just dreaming of the artist's voice and wanting to try to write something for that. But when I, so I got the opportunity to work with Fraser T. Smith, who is like an incredible, amazing musician and producer, and also just a lovely person. And so we, I think that was sort of the directive or the idea in mind. And I'm not sure if at that time I knew that he sort of had been given an opportunity to work on that project where they were already looking to him to um, submit some songs for that. A lot of those things are the kind of behind the scenes workings that not the songwriters aren't always privy to because there may be like the producer's manager trying to negotiate that. but his tracks to me felt very like Britney friendly and so we wrote a song he, we met together at westlake studios and he gave me we talked for a bit but i'm also shy so i've kind of learned as we've i've talked about many times in the podcast before as i'm talking for half an hour then i say i'm shy by the way i'm just talking about myself <laughs> when it comes to writing like you know getting into the muse or you know the zone um and so I think I ended up walking away with like some tracks in mind not all producers like to do that but I kind of am reassuring that that's my it makes it more I'm more able to kind of like do you know my best work if i can kind of be in my own headspace so i wrote one song that we then came back and demoed called break the circle and then had a couple which we recorded and played for teresa lavera whites who was fielding songs for britney as she had been so instrumental in like the development of britney and her her career and then we had a couple other sessions and worked in a couple different configurations another song Um, was a contender you know and all of these were kind of like being played for Britney's camp and I think I was writing them with a feeling that it might be possible that she would hear the songs and might record them because I had kind of learned from circus that this thing that seemed impossible was like actually a possibility and they kept, they just kept telling us, you know, keep going, keep submitting, you know, what you've got. Other people, you know, Fraser's team was kind of listening to the songs and offering guidelines and, and uh, advice. And then um, ultimately, he had to go back home to England. And so there was another couple tracks that I think He, I think he might've emailed me these tracks and there was one that was called Hypnotize with an S because he's British. And I forgot, you know, until I sort of like started rethinking about this, that that was the title. Producers often title their tracks and they might be a number, they might be the artist's name, they might be something that they feel like the track is saying to them. And I think if you have really good chemistry with a producer, it's possible that sometimes that idea can factor into the track. Sometimes it doesn't at all. But I remembered like, oh yeah, there's like a line in Scary about Hypnotherapy. So I think that might've, not intentionally, but it, you know, when you're venting out your lyric melody top line. And so I had written about half of it just like pacing around And, like, I think my daughter's nursery at the time, (laughs) just, like, during her nap time, kind of, like, crafting it in my head. And then I called him. I don't even know what time it was. But, you know, we had, like, we emailed and agreed to have a phone call where I just sang him, like, the first part of Scary. (sighs) the way that it was like recorded and then like, you know, pitched to her when it wasn't even like fully sort of like
1: realized. Correct me if I'm wrong on the version that I just played. I feel like I can hear you at the beginning of, I feel like I can hear you doing not the call and responses, but you have a distinct voice that I, I like. Ooh. And I think it was because unusual you opened up my eyes to hearing how your voice is that, we talked about that neutral bet throughout the song. And in Scary, you don't make it easy on yourself, even with amnesia, where it's like, the beginning of the song, it's like, where do we start? Where's the, like, amnesia, like, where's the note? How do we go? Where's the key change? And it's like, that's why you add in all these extra you added those little oohs or ahs to yeah, know, this is where you are from. definitely.
2: Or maybe like the producer does. But sometimes those things go on afterwards too. So it sounds like it was like a guide for the artist, but actually it was like a sound effect just to make the track sound cooler. Because you you usually have like one version of the track when you're the producer and the, the artist comes in to sing it. And then a lot of more bells and whistles and things will change. I don't know, like... I know that he was like, I wasn't a part of recording that with Fraser and, and um, Brittany. So I'm not exactly sure about how many different, like he played one kind of incarnation of it for me at Conway studios shortly after we all sort of got the announcement that Dr. Luke was going to be at the helm of producing it. And where everybody kind of which I'm not, I never totally know, like, how those decisions are made, but I know that it definitely made all of the rest of us feel like our chances to have placements on the songs with other producers were smaller, because he was probably going to have more songs, Um, and obviously, he's a tremendously talented writer and producer, Um, but so, there have been many different versions and things that were sort of like, you know, sent to me
1: um, to preview. With work, okay, so you had worked on, so you found out Dr. Luke was going to be at the helm executive producing um, and knowing that an executive producer is going to try to take the most of the real estate on that album. Like that's it, that's their passion project because then they're not working on many other projects like many other big projects of course there's multitasking
2: it might have also been that they wanted to have a lot of his you know I mean he was doing so well so you you know it's not necessarily like the producer just trying to jam a record full of their things like sometimes it's just all of the songs are getting heard and those are the ones that take priority obviously the executive producer has like a little more pull than like the producers of the individual songs. But yeah, so that was like for me that was just like a slight cloud that was kind of cast over because I just I mean, in, I kind of have this outlook of sort of like optimism when I'm writing something and then pessimism after it's been like submitted where it's always like a startling shock if something is, like is going on a record. So I I mean, I I walk around with that anyway, but it sort of seemed like I, you know, this is always like my kind of push and pull and my roller coaster, you know, that I seem to be destined to be on is that if I'm get if my confidence is getting too low, then I want to write something to write my way out of it. And that's when, you know, I think my maybe more resonating or powerful records can be created. But then if I get a swelled head and I'm like, everything I write is going on, Brittany, then the universe is like, surprise, no, it's not. (laughs) Nothing is. (laughs) So it just keeps me very, you know, for somebody who doesn't need to have a swelled head anyway, because nobody knows uh, who I am, it definitely like assures that I stay there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so, so with working on this though, because I noticed, so Brittany does have, songwriting credit on this
2: Yes. <laughs> when
1: so how does i mean how does that come to be because i mean you had amnesia the sole songwriter on there you know you've had a lot of songs that i've noticed where you're the sole songwriter
2: well, melody lyric writer like if the producer's creating a track they are creating the instrumental foundation that inspires the song like it wouldn't exist without that sometimes obviously a songwriter maybe is manipulating some chords and saying like how about this or changing structural things but also producers sometimes are also influencing like our melody lyric too so i'm sharing publishing with um, the producers. But, but on those three songs, I am like the main melody lyric writer with, like we talked about with Unusual You, like Bloodshine and Avant, um, altering the pre-chorus and putting those beautiful melody and harmonies on that, you know, sound otherworldly. Um, but yeah, they're my sort of like lyric and melody inspirations.
1: When you've, okay, so now let's go to, you wrote this so was the song complete like where do where do we go from there
2: okay so yeah so I had that conversation with I yeah so I uh, started backtracking even from there so I um had written scary you know pacing around here to that hypnotized track And, um, and I think you can hear too, like, if you hear my inflection, and in my mind, I'm kind of being Michael Jackson or something. And, And nobody's ever asked me about this, probably because people don't No, scary (laughs) well well. you have to really look to find it but the pre-chorus of it is very inspired by like Michael Jackson it's got a rhythmic thing that which wasn't intentional but but as I listen to it now it's like oh this feels like you know it was me trying to do my best Michael Jackson impression which of course miserably failed (laughs) but it's just inspired you know by his like amazing like the rhythmic patterns and a lot of what he does but so I um called Fraser up and uh sang it for him like on the phone like half of it and he was like that sounds great to me and I was like is he just being nice? Or, you know, he's such a nice person, such a like, really gentle man. Um, And I remember too, in that conversation, because he's British, and often my sense of humor has been described as sort of like, kind of British, or, you know, maybe like, there's a dryness to it. I don't, I don't know, not complimenting myself, but just my sensibilities. And so, He was talking at the time about artists he was with, and he mentioned like Adele, who was still very much like kind of unknown or not to the extent that she is today. But I knew who she was. And I kind of sarcastically said, oh, Fraser, it's too bad you can't work with any good artists. I mean, I was just being (laughs) totally facetious and sarcastic but I don't think that came through. And I'm not sure to this day if he, I'm, he never thinks about this and like remembers it, but I remember it because he's so lovely. And I was trying to show him like, wow, what a roster. And I, but I think that, you know, there are some people who are in the industry game. They try to kind of like keep the upper hand. It's not too many people, but it's a couple that they try to keep the upper hand by being really blunt about things or maybe they're just like awful (laughs) so they're blunt and they don't care about people's feelings but sometimes it's a little part of the manipulation where they want to make the other person feel like oh you should keep working with me because you're not doing anything special and I don't know if he knew me well enough at the time (laughs) to know that I was being sarcastic but I've always felt kind of bad about that because I couldn't really like backtrack and exp- like reassure him enough or maybe he had already like moved on to the next topic. But I I like to go in with a- the producer and record things so that, well, first of all, because I have no idea how to run Pro Tools and I've like been very resistant to learn it, even though so many other songwriters are as, you know, like facile with it as you know producers are themselves um but i just like producers will have to tell me like just hit the space bar if they're trying to go in the booth and like record some vocals and i'm like which one is the space bar so i i didn't have that luxury because i finished writing like the verses and the you know the choruses while he was back home in England. So I called up a wonderful producer friend of mine named JD Salvago, who's also um an artist named he goes by the, the name Boy Reckless. And he was signed to Art House at the time, my same publisher. And he had a studio at this really awesome little building called Plug and Play in Hollywood that's no longer there. It's like was Bulldozed and became something else. And he is a wonderful writer and producer, you know, in his own right. But he also had an unbelievable mic chain, which, you know, for people that don't know what that is, it's like when you're singing, you know, in my case, I'm not an artist, so I'm just singing a demo in his vocal booth on the mic, and you're listening in headphones, the effects and everything that the producer has put. On, the, on what you're listening back in your headphones and the equipment, the combination of that makes you feel like you might be Christina Aguilera, even though in my case, I definitely am not. And so I will always opt to go places where the mic chain is very friendly to the infinite flaws in my voice and makes me, it kind of gives me more confidence, which enables you to actually sing better. It's like a really cool kind of... Um, circular kind of thing that happens and so I'm trying to remember I think we just recorded verses and choruses and then maybe Fraser was going to create a bridge in the track that wasn't there and so because JD was not a writer on the song and he was doing me a favor letting me record and I just sort of like paid him not enough i'm sure for his time he did not do what's called comping the vocal of the demo which means taking the best takes fusing them together manipulating things so it all sounds smooth and cohesive he sent all the stems which is just all the files of all of my takes of the song which i don't know how many oh yeah And sent them to Fraser. And this other really crazy thing happened where I decided kind of on the spot to create that intro, the ah, 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 that kind of ah thing. And of course, Fraser did an infinitely more elaborate version of it on the record. But this was just like a template of it. And there was another producer there who had just written a song himself that had a very similar intro. And then he ended up playing it for us as a producer named Fuego. And after like he was there, I think for part of that recording session, or maybe just after listening to what we had recorded. And then he was like, check this out. And it was like a very similar intro that he had created. So I felt a little bit like, oh, should we alter it? I know I hadn't like heard, you know, what he had done. Um, yeah. So anyway, we send it to Fraser and I don't know how far he got with comping it because he also had a couple of other songs that were Amazing. I mean, many songs he's done, like "Set Fire to the Rain" with Adele, and he's just an unbelievable producer and musician. But they had selected two other songs of his, I guess, for Britney to record, like that she had approved and or her team thought she should hear and record. And he had a recording day with her, and. I didn't know this is stuff that I think I didn't know. And then I just randomly got a call from him. And it turned out that she came to the studio and heard or reheard those songs. I don't know what they were, and decided not to record them at that time. Um, and I've always wondered what they were. Um, in my mind, they're always like infinitely better songs than things that I've written. And so, and so she just decided though that you know they just weren't maybe she, maybe their songs she went on later to record and he had I guess a rough version of the scary demo that he played for her and he told me she really liked the lines of hypnotherapy and Jekyll and Hyde and she decided to record it then
3: you taking over my mind it's scary
2: yeah
3: I, think I need some hypnotherapy yeah
2: So it was like quick, quick, you know, get the lyric and, uh, but I didn't, I think she started recording before I could even do that. So I don't think the first or the second verse, first two lines are totally correct, but I don't remember what I wrote and I can't ask JD for them because that, why should he have to look through endless of, you know, his own files to find it and chance
1: because you have fans that are curious.
2: Oh um, yeah, I mean, I think they're correct. But I'm not totally sure. And as you know, I don't enunciate, so it's like anyone's guess. Um, yeah, and so there was no bridge at the time, and... You know, he went right from having that rough version because he just played this vocal and she decided to record it. So I always like to go back and listen to demos occasionally to like remind myself of the fun that we had in the studio.
1: Well, and what I love though is it's like seeing that progress. Like when you're a painter, you kind of see where, whether you sketch it out or something, you kind of see where it goes. And I think a lot of times is, and I think you've mentioned this in like the, the first episode, uh, where we talked about Unusual You, where it's like, sometimes you can just kind of go back to something and go, oh, wow. Like, you can appreciate it later on. Like, in hindsight, you can go, I feel good. Like, at that moment, you're just stressed out and dealing with everything. So I didn't know, clearly, I didn't know this. How awesome is that? That I mean, not for for Mr. Smith, is that, like, you just, eh, I'm not feeling those two songs. But then he's like, hey, I have a rabbit in a hat. What, what do you think? What do you think about that? And the fact that she did it and the the certain lyrics kind of, you know, inspired her because so then she added the, the couple lines in the bridge then or what like what part was because I know when I talked to Maya Marie before, she's like, sometimes, you know, you don't put too much pressure on trying to fit something because you can let the artists themselves to kind of, Add their own lyrics or you leave it open so that they can kind of have fun and play with it.
2: Yeah, like, or you leave it open because you imagine it might be a rap feature or sometimes you want to just like evaluate it after the verses and the choruses to feel, you know, it's like a little bit of a different, era now and going back several years where instead of maybe having like a proper bridge you might have you know you might have the rap feature not that that's not a proper bridge but like instead of having like the lead vocalist or artist on it that could be a feature moment or you know because EDM has created like additional sections well even before EDM really became such a like prime part of pop music um with pop you were seeing like choruses and post choruses, you know, tags to the chorus. And it created an additional section to the song that sometimes really eliminated the need for a bridge. Or sometimes if you had a bridge, it was like more sections than, you know, the song might lose focus or lose impact. So, and with EDM, you've got instrumental sections, because the DJ is usually the main artist. in, in a lot of EDM songs, or they might be an equal player to like say let's say the vocalist that's on there if the dj is not the vocalist and so there the instrumental is kind of like they're part of the duet and so bridges just don't always necessarily get written in the moment when you're writing with a producer and doing top line to track and so i think i was thinking that we would like sort it out later if he liked what he heard so far i just wasn't I don't know I think I just didn't necessarily have a concrete idea that I was determined to push forward and so I don't actually know whether she just happened to hear that like so scary that she sings. Or like, if she's saying it as an ad lib, or if he said, do you hear anything on the bridge? Or I'm not actually sure. The singer's so very, I want you so
3: bad. It's scary. Baby, I want you so bad. It scares me. So scary. So scary. So scary. Hey.
2: Since I wasn't there in the studio, like how that came together, but then her camp rightfully reached out to us for a small piece of publishing. So it wasn't one of those situations where they were like, give us publishing or we're not putting the song out or I'm this person. I need publishing on this, even if they didn't write it. Like she definitely did come up with that part and was very entitled to, to ask for that. And so they, she has a a piece of the publishing, but we weren't sitting there and writing it together. That would have been fun
1: (laughs) if we could have done that. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely and the end the, the fact of the the whole thing is you'd written a song before that she recorded on another song you actually got to be in the studio and then more recently in the past five years you actually got to be in the studio helping her out with a song that you didn't that you didn't write that you were you were there and the thing is it's so cool because you got to see the growth of this person from being a singer to seeing what they can add where You weren't there. Usually, you're a person that can kind of okay. I'm vibing with you. I'm in the zone. Let's try this out. That you just go and I I feel like you knew Britney's voice well enough. You knew her instincts well enough to know she's feeling it. Let her go. You know, because theoretically, somebody could say no. Not gonna, not gonna have her added on (laughs) lyrics. Theoretically, I'm not saying that anybody wouldn't, but she's also not the artist like some other artists that are like oh i didn't sing any of this but i'm getting 30% publishing right off the bat and you're going to say you know i wrote it and she's not that pop star
2: right
1: <sighs> which you know you can look at some peers and just of, of hers that are at that echelon and go wow so britney and she didn't i mean clearly from the sounds of it and you could see bmi break down all this stuff where it's like she didn't say like 90% of it is me she you know what i mean she didn't say it she could she could have in a world but she chose not to and i kind of that's another endearing quality that i that i appreciate in her because no matter what she is not trying to take credit and take away credit that's the part people don't get she's not trying to take away credit because there's only so much percentage on something that she's not leaving the songwriter out you know
2: yeah and i didn't i mean i didn't get the feeling i mean obviously it's a a better move to like include the artist in writing if they have written in some capacity because that just you know they might feel more of a vested interest but i'm always trying to just have the decision be based on you know what is the right thing and um in that case, it's whether she just came up with it on the spot or whether she was asked to, you know, that wasn't her, you know, trying to get in on it. I think she just was like inspired to sing that. And a lot of times, you know, we, like you can create 90% of a record or you can create 50%, you can do the whole lyric and melody and feel like you're really like, you know, the song is all about you and what you've created. But even something that doesn't occupy a lot of time in the song itself can become one of the most signature things that really is as important as another part. And so that should be reflected in publishing. And I, again, with like the universe's very successful efforts to keep my head from swelling, I remember that I was on a, had been invited to a video set of something that Maya Marie was filming. And for her group and she introduced me to a friend of hers who was a Britney fan and loved um, Scary and they said to me like oh I just love that song Scary and then they started singing Britney's part of the song which is like I mean, they, of course, don't know that that's like the part that I had nothing to do with, but it's, it's a wake up call for like, you need to acknowledge how even something that feels like a simple, you know, it's a reiteration of the title it can be very, very catchy and maybe more memorable to people than like all of those other lyrics and melodies that you wrote. So I've learned to not, you know, think that much of myself, like, oh, I wrote all this other stuff and really appreciated that she took the time to invest in it beyond just singing it, you know, to create something new
1: for it. And so did you get briefed on anything or was it, you know, we mentioned like it was haphazard, like, did you at that point, did you know that there were other songs? Cause I believe when I was looking up uh, some of the the songs that were kind of finished or published early on, like Criminal, I Wanna Go, Trouble, that was all done and Telephone was done at the same time. And, you know, and it was like, cause in between Circus and Femme Fatale was a Greatest Hits album of hers where she had her third number one song, three, and it seemed as though they were still working on more material for her that like circus went over so well that it was okay the floodgates are open let's keep going so had you heard were you in any sense of the way informed as to the album process or did you get to hear any other songs being created
2: um on that record I did a couple like I did another um blood and Avant writing camp But um, I'm trying to I don't know, like kind of what the circumstances were like in my life at the time, but they were doing like Dr. Luke's camp of like writers signed to him were kind of being brought into a lot of those sessions because he was now at the helm and like, I think I had ideas about what he wanted to create for her like with his writers and producers signed to him. And so you know, I, I do love co-writing with people and, but I often, you know, to write those kind of personal records or something where I just go in and come up with something that's like very, you know, not unique, but sort of like not necessarily the predictable thing to the track, like scary, like, I don't know. I, I have theories about where that came from in me, but I'm not sure. But in the case of like those, Like, I saw a lot of those sessions where, like, multiple people and just sort of, like, enjoying a glass of wine together and just talking about crazy, awesome ideas for her. And I just remember, I mean, my experiences with Dr. Luke were only ever positive. Like, we had a couple sessions but he, as he writes, he's often playing an instrument. He's like an instrument file, if that's like a word and like collects these different things. So at any given day, he's learning a new instrument. Um, I don't know if he's still doing that, but it's like something he's tracked down and purchased. And then he's maybe brought that into a session is playing it and coming up with ideas for a melody. So his relationship with Bonnie McKee and other writers that are able to write melody and lyric and chords and can do all of those equally well but they can maybe come to somebody else's melody and just create a lyric for that or kind of work with a lot of a melody that's coming from someone else that's part of why their chemistry is so great because she bonnie is um if you're familiar with that name is has a brilliant ability to do that
1: i wanted to interrupt for a second to kind of throw some of the titles out there that bonnie mckee has co-written on Uh, and these are katy perry ones co-writer for california girls teenage dreams last friday night part of me wide awake roar Uh, and she has written a few songs for britney spears including hold it against me
2: Confidence, I think in my ability to come up with ideas. And then I wasn't having quite as much actual interaction with Bloodshine and Avant. And then they also had to like, leave town after they had done their work. And so it was it just was a different dynamic. And um, so I was less involved, like less around and seeing what was going on. And then just didn't have that same like, um, kind of amazing, you know, connection with them the next time around. And I didn't really know what she was recording. I just, I'm always going on the assumption is everybody else's record but mine. <laughs> it's just always the assumption. <laughs>
3: and I know that you 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 mine. Mine.
1: We'll be back. Have no fear. Cassia will be back in just a few minutes. Uh, I want to take a moment to welcome our next guest, Sage Douglas, who runs the Instagram website, Britney Spears Custom Dolls. Uh, And we're going to talk with Sage a little bit about his, basically, the products that he makes. And we have a giveaway. So, Sage, welcome to the Original Doll Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So, what I wanted to do was let the listeners know we're going to have a giveaway. And I'm going to have you talk about your process, what sort of things you do, and what separates your doll from the others. So, for the listeners, pay attention. Here we go. What we're going to do is the Original Doll Podcast is going to give away a custom Britney Spears doll and I'll have Sage explain which one it is and we'll post a photo of it. But what we're going to do is follow it's super simple. Follow the dot original dot doll on Instagram and tag us in a photo screenshot if you will of you listening to any episode of our podcast. It's that simple and even better, this is globally So our listeners in Russia, our listeners in Iceland, our listeners in Johannesburg, all over the place, Ireland, you all can enter, which is great. So Sage, tell us a little bit about these amazing dolls that you make.
3: Yeah, so uh, my name's Sage and uh, I make custom Britney Spears dolls. And uh, basically what I do is I just take uh, the original Britney doll and I kind of spice her up a little bit and... um, I do that um, with all scraps and I make everything from scratch. So it's just about taking fabrics and rhinestones and glitter and just kind of putting it all into one and um, making a great Britney doll to represent a lot of her later costumes. I like to do a lot of the ones after her original original doll line stopped. (laughs) They, uh, you know, they kind of stopped in the middle of the Britney era, and I just felt like there was so much more to do. So one day I decided to make one, and um, put it together, and it all just came together. And yeah, it's just it's it's a big arts and craft passion project of mine that I've been doing for about three years. I now.
1: love it, and I think what's great is as as a fan of Britney Spears, is this is like an homage to her. This art that you're making. Is a nod to the visuals that we've had for decades now of Britney Spears. And I like the fact that you go beyond just like, here's the costume, let me put it together. It's the hair is rerouted. All these things, like you're not just recycling everything, you know, or, or using everything top to bottom. It's like, I can look at the, the VMA hair or the stronger video hair, which is different than the if you seek Amy hair. Like that's something that, first of all, it takes a lot of time, I'm assuming, to reroute. What made you decide to do the rerouting route?
3: Um, I just well, ultimately, I I mean I've been i I've been I've been really into dolls my whole life. And um at ultimately what happens is is the Britney doll has really cheap hair. <laughs> um, you know, you gotta keep everything cost effective. I totally understand it, you know, but um in getting my supplies, I would often get Britney dolls that just had really bad hair. And it was like, I can't use this, but like that, you know, and as weird as it sounds, you know, you want the head. <laughs> and so I figured out that you can reroot Barbie doll hair and make it look brand new. And I just thought it, it added to the dolls a little bit. I think it makes them a little bit more high quality. The hair that I use is nylon and, um, it is super soft and it's heat treatable, and that is how I'm able to get all of those hairstyles really well with just like a hair straightener, curler, boiling water, that type of thing. Whereas with the with the original Britney doll, um, you can't use heat heat products on it. It's plastic; it melts. Um, so I decided to start using nylon hair because I can literally crimp it. I can do anything that I want to it, and give it that real Britney look, which I couldn't pull off with the original hair on the dolls. So yeah, the rerouting is probably the most painstaking process in what I do, but um, I, I, I'm i really, I've gotten into a groove with it where it, it, it's not so bad, but um, I think it makes the, it just kind of amplifies the doll a little bit more um, when they have this. Absolutely.
1: And I think something that we all as fans know is like the hairography. Britney's hair is iconic. Yeah. Like. The way it just moves he with her, and you can just take the costume away and look at the hair and go, "Oh, that's partly crimped, stronger hair, or that slave-like spirally hair." Um, Absolutely. And I love that because you're paying attention to those details. And I think something people should keep in mind is these are not twenty-dollar dolls that you're making. You're—it's not a machine that is making these for you. You're using your. your these are handmade dresses, hair, all the the costumes, everything in there. So to let people know, this is quality that they're getting from you. And as a fan, you're not trying to put out subpar work because it's just kind of in honor of her. So tell the listeners what doll you and I have chosen that you have just finished. It's like hot off the presses. We'll be having a photo uh, coming up shortly. Uh, Let the audience know, what Britney doll we are giving away.
3: Um, We decided to do one of the most iconic ones we are doing, or we did, it's on the way, it's in the mail. Um, We are doing the Slay For You performance from the VMAs, which is one of my more popular orders. Um, And I think it's something that it's instantly recognizable. You know exactly where it is, where it's from. And um, I did a little extra on this one just to make it, even more exciting for the listeners and whoever wins yes. it. And um, yeah, she's great. Love it,
1: love it. And so for those listeners, and don't worry, everyone, we have more with Sage coming up in the next few weeks where we're going to talk about dolls and iconic images, looks and everything. The most important thing is how do people find you? How do they purchase?
3: Yeah, if anyone wants to order a doll, you can just send me a DM on at Britney Spears Custom Dolls on Instagram and we can chat about it. That's how I do do all my so business.
1: amazing! So once again, everyone, don't worry. We have more with Sage in a couple of weeks, uh, and if you want to win the VMA uh, Britney Spears doll, we will post photos. We will tag Sage in it to make sure that you get the correct account. Because as with many Britney fandoms, there are many people that have close to the same name. Uh, we just want to make sure yeah. we give them the right one. So uh, once again, follow the dot original dot doll on Instagram and screenshot us with you uh streaming one of the podcast episodes and don't forget to follow at Britney Spears Custom Dolls on Instagram. So Sage, <laughs> yes. Sage, thank you so much for being a part of this. And uh we will talk to the listeners in a second. It, though this is this is the fun part because it's like we can hear, because so many times people are like, oh, it was, you know, this, that. And, like, uh, there were a couple songs that I reached out to during the circus era where I was like, is this you and Frankie Storms? And you're like, "Nope, that's Frankie. Where it's like, and especially because songwriters and, and vocalists like yourself, though, you know your yeah. voice. Oh, you do know, because I'm assuming Vertigo, that's the song that you yeah. wrote, correct? Co-wrote
2: with Shelley and uh, Nicole Morier.
1: <laughs> Is that what we were just talking about with Mr. Smith? Notice I'm saying Mr. Smith. Oh. <laughs> Is that? Is that? Uh.
2: Yeah. Like.
1: Is that a Fraser? Yes,
2: I I believe that was one of those where it initially was a bit of a tug of war because I kind of like. I always like sort of go into the zone and then I have some like left turn inspiration to try to provide like my, you know, part of the writing. And in that case um, I even like recorded a little snippet of something that was very different from the initial start of Vertigo. And so then we kind of went back to where it was. And it's funny because sometimes at the time, you know, it's, it's kind of irritating, but it's important sometimes when you write to feel the sense of entitlement, like my idea is the best. And so sometimes I'll get so, so into my own little idea. And I'm also like having to do it that way, just because of the shyness and sort of like, when I go into that zone, sometimes I'm, you know, changing a lot of things for better or worse. But um, in retrospect, their initial ideas about vertigo and kind of cool off off-kilter melody was definitely much catchier than what I was trying to
1: do with it i love it okay so then for for the listeners there's there's a song that i want you to talk about a little bit um and i promised i promised the listeners that we were going to talk about stick with you but what i'm going to do is we're going to push that to a different episode <laughs> so that I can go ahead, and we can talk about a song that is. I think I've been fortunate enough to hear the demo that I really like, and the song is called "Pulse," Aww. and it was a Britney demo. So, what what album was this for? Do you do you recall? It was
2: written around the same time as like "Scary" and in and that friend "Vertigo," like the same sort of like
1: and break break the cycle, yeah. which or break this. Is it Break the Cycle or the circle? circle, Break
2: the Circle? Yeah, so,
1: like so then, so Pulse, who was the producer of Pulse? Was also it Fraser. Mr. Smith? Yeah, again, also
2: or? Fraser. So yeah, and we actually wrote that one in person with Shelly pikin who is like a just enormously talented writer that's written so many songs that the listeners I'm sure will know, including Out From Under.
3: Hold on to myself and
2: And so um, she and I had written a bit in the past and we're just friends, you know, kind of like in the songwriter, like, you know, connected circle. Um, And so we were like actually there in in the studio uh, together writing it. But I I think that we ended up, cause I think it's always the story where like, oh, the producer has to go back home. You know, they're only in the States for a little while. So I think I recorded it with an engineer. And Shelly, I mean, Shelly is an amazing vocalist. And you, you can, like, she has a book and she's done, like, a spoken version of the book, which was nominated for the, a Grammy. And she's also done an album of her own, like, songs. So you can hear she's a vocalist, she's an instrumentalist. So, um, yeah, I don't, I think I just ended up singing it either because I was there, I mean, like, maybe she had also had to leave.
1: Pulse, I really like the song and I'm like, I'm interested to see how, how that came to be because it's so, it's stuck in my head. I am not a singer, so I'm not trying to sing it. (laughs) This confuses me. The fact that I can't buy your song "Scary" on Apple here in the U.S., however, I can stream somebody's upload of "Scary" mm-hmm. in the U.S., and that doesn't make sense to me because if it's not for this region, it shouldn't be on any streaming. That yeah, the that that part that part is super annoying. So that's why when I reached out to you, I'm like. Who do we have to talk about this? Because the thing is, scary is sound coded on YouTube. So clearly the publishers are getting paid, but it's like, if you're allowing that, then just up, it doesn't It doesn't take much work to just go song up there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> scary, up, amnesia, up. Because it's already out there. And that's the part I think I'm confused with. And I would love to talk to anybody you know from like Sona, like we talked before, where it's like, there's some things where I'm just like, how do we as consumers and advocates of artists like yourself? Like, how do we help? Because we can we as consumers can rally like nobody else. We have that ability. And it's it's beyond just the core group of songwriters that are talking about songwriters' things. No, no, not one of my listeners that I've had are anywhere in the recording industry, but they are in government, they are in legal, they are, they're in these other aspects in which that's just more allies to help, oh. you know. And it,
2: I think like
1: the Sona
2: is attempting, you know, cause it's, you know, we always want to sort of identify a villain, you know, like who's the villain that's responsible sometimes it's Mm -hmm. just because people that were you know creators of the songs or producer of the song didn't go through the steps to sort of try to register something in some type of way like you can see me like i'm so like out of the loop of various things where it's like oh i can register for this i could do you know i'm just chasing the moment and like the new song you know to work on and um so there's there's that things can fall through the cracks but also if there wasn't a template for I mean music was very expensive sort of I mean when you consider the effort that goes into making it and and promoting it a $20 CD wasn't actually all that much you know it's not just the physical thing that is you know the CD itself but it's all the work that went into the songs but you know suddenly it went from and you know cassettes that were a certain price to CDs that felt very expensive to people. And there's always that backlash where now suddenly it's free. And then there's not even a template for if you're just streaming something, if you're seeing it on YouTube, and you're not holding a physical copy how can you be charged for that? And of course, because it became available to do, it's kind of like if you're, you know, handing out free ice cream, and then later you're like, by the way, that's three dollars, and people are going to be like, see ya. I already ate the ice cream. You know, there's no, there's no template, and of course, like any entity like YouTube or something like that, that's becoming enormously, you know. Uh, well-known and successful and the, you know, the value of the company, the valuation is is soaring. Of course, they're benefiting from, you know, a little bit from each of the songs and things that are on there that people are able to share um, that we aren't getting compensated for. But on the flip side, it's also kind of a promotional thing too, where people are becoming aware of things. It's just, I don't think that the promotion, it may help the artist. It may help, you know, other facets of the industry. It, what unfortunately is that it doesn't tend to turn back around because if you're seeing a Britney Spears song, let's say on YouTube, you're not going to be like, as a a fan and a listener who isn't in the industry, let me try to get more of Shelly Piken's songs placed on other records. (laughs) It's not going to come back around and feed into it And you're not going to say, now let me buy a physical copy of this now that I've been able to hear it infinite times on YouTube. So it does promote in a sense, but it doesn't go back to compensating a lot of the people that were involved in the creation of it. But it's not necessarily that there is a villain. It's just, you know, it it became something that was a possibility. And people obviously took advantage both, both on the posting and creating youtube side and the listening side and that's why sona is trying to create those templates for how can people be compensated for this because they no longer are having to go out and get physical copies of things and then a certain percentage of it is just changing times you know now we're not listening to eight tracks we're not listening to we're collecting records but only a few of us are listening to them so how you, you wonder as a person, should I fight and say, I need to get compensated as though times are never gonna change, or I need to accept a new model and keep kind of doing this this work. So it's all, it's very complicated. Mm.
1: Well, and I think the hope of the, this podcast is to really kind of enlighten us listeners, us consumers, to the importance of respecting the art that's out there, the music that's out there, respecting and pushing for fair wages for these, you know? And I think people, for, for these songwriters and producers where we don't think anything because we consume the music so fast, but it didn't take you two seconds to to, to make the song. It took more. And and I, I remind people like, when people are like, oh, well that painter, it only took, you know, and three hours for them to do it, so they shouldn't charge me this amount." And it's like, well, you're not paying them for that amount. You're paying them for the schooling, the education, the experience, the gas to get these supplies, all these things. And the hope is that the listener of of this podcast figures out ways, if they appreciate an artist, to find ways how to keep making sure that the money that we're spending is going to the right places. Because the fact that you could have 8 million streams on a song and the songwriter could end up walking away with $30,000, it seems like a lot to some people. But then when you think about it, you're like, but we're talking about that made more than $30,000. It's not a matter of, is it enough? It's a matter of what is rightfully theirs. So if a song makes $3 million, the songwriter should be getting more than $30,000. i am just throwing generic, <laughs> completely generic numbers yes. up. There. Um, <laughs> But it's. But I also think that that the podcast part that I like is learning about these stories, about how these songs were created, about your journey, about how this came to be, and that sometimes not every song that ever made has this fantastic muse moment. You're like, "Well, I was bored," but it's cool to hear like hypnosis, hypnotherapy, because the song it said hypnosis on the CD. It's things like that. So. Because um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So, Pulse, kind of the same sessions as Scary. Let's say, like, that was the, it was distinctly femme fatale.
2: Yeah. So, and that's true. like sometimes writers can be brought in. If it's a really high profile project, sometimes, you know, the artist team will bring in people sort of like even without your knowledge because they're trying to get the song to be like the absolute like best that they feel that it could be but I I don't I mean I understood that Pulse was possibly being considered um, for Britney um you know among some of the other records and I know that I would occasionally show up to like you know events or sessions where someone that I you know hadn't played Pulse to had heard it and um, you know, was commenting on it. So I was kind of surprised, you know, it's like, I'm always feel surprised if anybody like knows anything that I've done or like has heard a demo that I I just assume it just sort of like goes into the void sometimes. So um, I don't know if it was circulating as like, we like the sound or if just people were playing it for other people that were like friends we had in common.
1: It is, it is so catchy. It is so catchy. It is so Aww, good. Thanks. <laughs> I I don't understand how it didn't get placed, but that's the part that I I just, I'm confused. I also know, I, I always talk about real estate on the album, that the album had 16 tracks, including the deluxe, and then the Japanese one had your 17. <laughs> so it's like at a certain point, you weren't trying to make... 20 songs on there so when did you find out we'll we'll go back to scary for a second when did you find out that it was going to be on the album and then as you're very much known for a regional bonus track (laughs) like with amnesia you're like yay everyone it's available (laughs) overseas so when did you find out
2: i should offer my own master classes and have not to be on the actual album (laughs) Um. <laughs> yeah I think oh my gosh I you know I have my I've often t- talked about like art house being very like aggressive in a positive way on behalf of their writers even tackling things that sometimes wouldn't fall under, like they're a management and, and, um, and publisher, but they, I don't have a management arrangement with them, but they were often doing management type things. And so I believe I was in another session with a really lovely uh, writer producers called Dream Lab. And I think I got a text from someone who was working at my publisher, who's, you know, very passionate and like, really, a warrior for her writers who en- ended up going to a different publisher. Um, not too long after that, but I think she texted me that it was Japan only. And I think I didn't have a lot of inspiration for the rest of that session. But she wanted to, you know, obviously keep me like updated immediately. And of course, that can be like a call to arms of like, you know, try to write something else that's not going to be Japan only, like, obviously, like, it's an honor to have Britney record anything and to be released in any part of the world, you know. But um, yeah, it was, It was crushing. Well, also, it it was funny, though, also, because a really incredible writer who's far more successful than me and who's also another one who, like Bonnie McKee, has the unique ability to write lyric and melody equally well but can write lyric separately to somebody else's melody that is just phenomenal and uh, lindy robbins is her name and she's you'll see her name all over tons of like hit song credits um but she had a song also with fraser at the time and that i don't Know if I remember what the song is, but um, it I thought it was great at the time, and so I knew though that any you know like you're getting to the point where the circles are kind of closing in, and you're meeting other people and knowing other people. So even though something is a disappointment for you, it means that somebody else that you know might have a win. So it's kind of a bittersweet, and I so at the time that I found out that scary was possibly going to be on the album, you know, that sort of pushed the other, like friends of mine who's who I thought were going to get on the record off. And so I had sort of like already, you know, sort of accepted that. And I was really kind of rooting um, for, like for my other friends too. And then, so when, then when it went to Japan only, you know, it I wasn't sure what that opened up for somebody else but it was it was disappointing because I also really adore Fraser and so I didn't know if that meant that songs he was supposed to be involved in and it turned out that he did have other Mm. records on the on the album. So that was good, but it was, yeah, it's not good to find those things out in another session where you're trying to be inspired. It's better to feel like everything you write is gold for that one like moment.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love it. Well, we are going to leave that here for now. Don't worry. We are going to listeners. We are going to have more with Cassia uh, because we still have a lot of music to go over with you. Um, So we're going to
0: keep, we're going to keep,
1: not at all, not at all. So just thank you so much for, for spending time and talking to us about, about Scary and about your process and your story and your journey. Thank you for opening up to us. And the listeners, the feedback I've received is it's, it's great to hear you talk about your experience of getting a song cut and whether it was being in the studio or not or how you find out. And you've had the wide spectrum. You've had more than one song cut by Britney You've been in the studio with her once. You've you had her cut this one separately. You went in the studio to help with a different song that she was working on. Like you've had more experiences, different different experiences than most others do. So, for listeners, don't worry. We have more with Kasia, and uh, I'm going to keep bothering her about so that I can hear "Break the Circle," "Vertigo," "Venom." I think "Time Bomb." Whatever, 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 anything else. Oh my- if you've written it, you've recorded it.
2: <laughs> thank you, James. That's so, so nice. And thank you for all of your efforts, your charitable efforts and efforts like to just show and you know, introduce the Brittany fan community to the behind the scenes of all of these stories. It's wonderful for us to get a chance to recall these moments and relive these memories shed light on things that people may be curious about so i i really appreciate having the opportunity to speak
1: <laughs> love it well thank you so much cassia and we will see you all on the flip side I
2: don't know, i'm gonna survive this fatal attraction's gonna eat me alive I'm not supposed to want ya, but I do like a die. It's turn me into a monster, like I'm Jekyll
1: and hi Everyone, I would like to welcome back welcome back to the Original Doll Podcast, superstar, gay icon, recording artist, Maya <laughs> Marie. Maya, thank you so much for coming back to the Original Doll Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me again. Happy to be here. I love it. I love it. And
1: we're talking about the song Scary, which was on Britney Spears' Femme Fatale album, with uh, which was written by Casia Livingston. Um
0: yes, my favorite
1: and, woman ever. And you've worked with her previously, correct?
0: Um, well, that was actually my first, I think that was my first in. I didn't work with her then. She wasn't there at the session when I did background vocals on Scary. But um, I, like, worked with her after that.
1: Nice. On your own so, project or?
0: Yeah, on my own project. I think it was after that. Gosh, I don't even know what time it is. But, um, yes, she worked with us for my crazy girlfriend, a band that I was in on Capitol Records. She actually did our first single with us. So she's awesome.
1: Nice. She's She's been such a delight to interview um, because she's very, she's just genuinely happy and
0: She's cool. uh, Yeah, very cool.
1: And so I look at it and I think, you know, she talked to us about the origin of Scary where it was a track that Fraser, who I call Mr. Smith, because I always mess up the first name uh, with a Z (laughs) So I just say Mr. Smith. Yeah. Um, and how the song came to be. And I know previously when you were on our podcast before, I'd asked you like, you know, as a background vocalist, which song has been the most difficult to kind of get into in the studio? Because I think what I've liked is the listeners of the podcast have said, whoa, I just assumed the background vocalist would have weeks to work on this song. Not sometimes you're-
0: Oh no, you show up and you do it then. And you don't get sent- you don't get sent the song or anything. I think the only song I got sent before um, was Passenger. And that was like a fluke. Like they, especially when it comes to like Britney stuff, like they don't like things floating around and you usually just literally show up and they play it for you a couple of times and that's it. <laughs>
1: well, and the thing is, and I think, you know, the listeners might not realize is that you have a very good talented ear. Like you understand chords, keys, things like that, which some people can't pick up quickly. So you're efficient in in what you do in the process that you do. And when I've spoken to songwriters and producers, that's something that's been a given that like you get music that somebody doesn't have to teach you, here's the piano, hit this note, then that it's like-
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say I like even know of, oh, this is a C or this is a G, whatever. It's not, it's really weird. Like I definitely don't know technical things like that, Um, but there is something I guess that I started noticing even when I was a kid like one of the things I would notice listening to music was like the backgrounds I always thought backgrounds added such a cool layer and I didn't know they were called backgrounds I didn't even know what the hell you know it was I just heard this other kind of harmony and I remember the first time I played around with backgrounds was because I was obsessed with Slave For You and you know the background vocals on that are so crazy Mm -hmm. because there's like a billion different layered voices and I tried to record it on like, do you remember those old little mics on like, oh. that were with Windows computers, like those weird <laughs> like beige, like <laughs> so I tried to record it on there, whatever program came with Windows. And I just like added all these harmonies. I'm sure it sounded absolutely awful. Um, but yeah, there's definitely an art to it. And I would say it's something that you, you intuitively probably have or don't have, um, but, and you just learn based upon experience. I'd also give a lot of credit to um, DQ, David Quinones, who I was signed to. He was amazing at hearing insane background vocals where I would never even hear them and just like different kind of unique, not the standard R&B regular backgrounds. He'd hear these like just fantastic layered vocals that the normal ear would not hear. And so working with him a lot um, opened my eyes to how cool it can actually be and elevate your song to kind of a next level.
1: I love it. Well, and that's something where, so I wanted to kind of go into with like your, your singing, your background on this, this track, Scary. Now you had mentioned, and I teased in a previous episode that Scary was one of the more difficult sessions for you as a background vocalist. Give the listeners kind of insight as to why (laughs) was this as a background vocalist difficult? And what part i should say
0: well it, it, it's the intro part i remember trying to line up with the other vocals that were in there and trying and, and then add the harmonies on top of it because there's that ah, ah, ah part ah, 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 ah. Um, that <laughs> was so intricate and I just could not, I remember kind of like being so nervous because I was working with, um, Fraser T. Smith, who was the producer. And I was so nervous because I could just could not get it. And he was so cool. He was like, Oh, don't worry about it. Let's you'll get it. You'll get it. And then there is this thing where you get, you get in your head, you know, and you start freaking you're like, Oh, I, I can't get it. You just got to release it and let it go. But it did take me. Longer than normal, like I'm usually pretty quick <laughs> to pick up on things, and for some reason, that one it, it definitely sticks out as a challenge. Um, but you know, it was an awesome experience, but yeah, that I remember just like kind of feeling like that beat red like your blood's getting hot because you're like embarrassed you can't get it.
1: <laughs> like, my job right now so, is just to sing, and I can't get the singing yeah, right.
0: And I, I oh, and I thought that. I thought that song was just so cool. You know, I love anything kind of like spooky and freaky. And I just thought the the concept was so cool and um, just the melodies, everything. I'm kind of pissed that it didn't get bigger, you know, because that's actually, you know, I love her writing. I think it's so good. You know, Unusual You is literally like one of my favorite Britney songs ever. Amnesia. So she always kind of has these really awesome, unique concepts. And, um, and, which, you know, may be too heavy for, like, radio. Well, and
1: that's <laughs> that's something where, you know, the listeners uh, just learned that, like, Cassia said she was really inspired by, like, Michael Jackson, and there are certain parts to it. And I, I kept thinking, I'm like, Scary reminded me of Thriller in the sense of, I can put it on in the fall, a year after it came out, 10 years after it came out, and still yeah. get into it.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, well, especially that... <laughs>
0: you know, that part, yep. that was, that, that's super Michael Jackson. So it's
1: great when you hear that, you know, the song, part of it was influenced or inspired by, you know, Michael Jackson. And I just think, and yet the song itself from beginning to end is just so Britney, like it's on brand with Britney. Um, oh
0: my God. Yeah. It, yeah. I know. It's so interesting.
1: And I think that's something where, you know, and I talked to Cassie, I said, you know, she's the, she's the queen of, uh, Getting thrown to international waters because amnesia was only available like in Europe, parts of Europe, and then scary only available in Japan. She was like, "I can teach a master <laughs> class on how not to get on the American version of an album." So, uh, before I let you go from here, uh, let us know like what other things are you working on right now? Because I know you're going to be back in the next um, few weeks with more projects and. We still have a lot more to discuss with you and all sorts of fun things. But what what does Maya Marie have like out right now that the listeners can stream, purchase, download, view?
0: Right now, my most recent is um, I'm featured on a Funk Lab song called Mama Said. There are currently a couple of uh, Ron Reeser remixes that I'm obsessed with, um, who is a good friend of mine. So you can find that on Spotify. You can just go to my Spotify, Maya Marie, um, or the Funk Lab, but um, everything will be on mine as well.
1: Nice. And you also have a Patreon page.
0: I do have a Patreon, and that's, you know, I've actually been sending a bunch of stuff out, a bunch of printed CDs and little... um, gift things here and there and I'm going to do a few more I think I'm gonna get some hats that I'm gonna send out and I do a lot of little fun promotions on there as well as a ton of unreleased material so I think Patreon's like an awesome way um to do that you know it's an outlet for myself and it's it's nice to be able to give others like new music to listen to especially right now
1: absolutely and and i've been fortunate enough to hear a lot of the the demos that you've had that no, that aren't even online you know those those britney demos yeah. like that that are i i think they're all phenomenal of course because i think that you do a great job writing for that specific artist whether it's oh, selena me. gomez whether it's the rest of these you know the the britneys or anything like that so for the listeners take out check out the patreon cuz i know some of them coming up and what's great is myself having researched a ton of Britney Spears and publishing and things like that, I know you and I have talked about, you know, over 20 different songs that were in contention that no one's even mentioned, you know, that there are these songs out there that people haven't talked about, which I think is really great. Um, And we get to hear you in your songwriting, in your zone. And I think that's something that, fans of music, especially pop music, will love it. So everyone take a, take a listen to the Funk Lab featuring Maya Marie, uh, Mama Sedno and the yes. remix. Uh, it's really good. And the song that I hope comes out next month will be-
0: Yes, there's, there's probably two songs coming out, hopefully two um, next month. We're filming two music videos. And then that's just gonna be a continuation as well with the Funk Lab. We have like about four or five songs in total. Um, so we're kind of doing, it's really cool. We're going to connect pretty much um, every song together. So the, the videos are going to be a story.
1: Nice. So
0: it's going to be kind of this like cool journey that um, you guys will get to join along on, which has been really fun.
1: I love it. And you've been able to make music and make videos and it's safely, especially in the new.
0: Yeah. And, and Patreon's helped out a lot with that. So the more, you know, you guys subscribe, it's not just me like pocketing this money. It's literally going right back into art and uh, making music videos and stuff like that. So that's what's super awesome about it is that's why I did it is because, you know, it's uh, a way to keep making more.
1: Maya Marie, thank you so much for joining us. And once again, everyone, don't forget Maya will be back over the next few weeks to talk about more. So thank you so much, Maya, for spending time with the Original Dow Podcast.
0: Thank you.
1: So, before I let you go, I wanted to let you know about another little uh, collaboration that we have going on. I wanted to point your attention to Britney Online. Now, what they are posting is the Randy St. Nicholas picture from the Femme Fatale photo shoot in UHQ. So, those people who know what that is, you're going to love it. It was scanned and restored by Britney Online in collaboration with All Britney Peru. So, take a look at it. We will tag them in this post on social media. Or you can visit their website wwwbritney onlinenet uh, to take a look at the amazing photo. The other thing is, if you're interested, the Original Doll podcast on our website, we have items listed with the proceeds going to charity. So if you're interested in some older Britney Spears merch that we've had that we have remastered, Uh, take a look there. I also wanted to leave you at the end of this episode, don't stop it too soon, after our theme song, I'm going to play a special remix of Scary by DJ John Michael. Enjoy! And don't forget, if you have any questions for me, message me at Instagram, the.original.doll, or on Twitter, at James Rodriguez. R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. And also, you can go to our website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. Don't forget, we are giving away that custom Britney Spears Slave for You doll. And it could be won by anyone in the world. So make sure you follow those instructions. Follow the Instagram account and screenshot you playing one of our episodes. So thank you so much and see you on the flip side. Special shout out to our Indonesian listeners and our Irish listeners. We've been charting in many different countries. Shout out to Pam in Italy. Thank you again to Cassia Livingston and Maya Marie, Sage Douglas, and Brittany Online. Don't worry, we have a lot more coming up over the next few weeks. Enjoy. See you on the flip side.
3: It's scary. Yeah, scary. Yeah,
2: scary. Scary. Yeah. Don't you want my iconography?
0: Don't you wanna stay and then follow me? Don't you wanna aim for the stars you see? Don't you want my iconography?